This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. I'm going off on a little tangent. I'm just debating in my head whether I should or not. Um, do it. It's not. Yeah, it's not. I just, it was very interesting to me. I listened to a lecture about the third commandment, about not taking the Lord's name in vain. And I think most of us hear that and say, like, you know, don't say GD, you know, or something. Like, we don't, we shouldn't, like, be flippant with, with, who, with God's name. And I think there's a sense in which that is under that umbrella. But the third commandment is essentially saying, don't take lightly the character and presence of God. Like, don't take lightly, don't be flippant about who God is and when he's present and with us. Like his name, his, his name is like where he dwells, is, is where, where, he, uh, where he wants to represent himself as being. And it was interesting, I was listening to Deuteronomy and Moses, and when he's recapping and talking about when he struck the rock and he couldn't see the promised land, it's, he's saying, he says when he recounts, he says, the, the reason why he couldn't go into the promised land is because he did not respect the name of the Lord. He did not take the name of God as holy. And so I, I thought about that, and I just think as we, as we gather and we worship and we sing and we hear from God's word, there is a sense in which I think we're tempted to be flippant about what we do on Sunday because we just do it all the time, right? But like we're God's people. He dwells in us, and he's uniquely present when we gather this morning. And I think that's our warning as Christians as we look at God's law and say, hey, we don't want to be flippant about that. And I don't, hear me, I don't think anyone was flippant this morning or anything like that. I'm not like, there's not like a secret person here I'm like pointing at or even thinking of. I just was struck by this reality that we just got to go through this routine and how deep-rooted that is in the things that God has communicated to us. Like here we are in the presence of God, getting to hear his words and proclaim his glory and sing back to him. And like the third thing he commands his people is to like take that seriously. Like consider that and don't be flippant about my presence and and who I am. So that's my tangent. um, And I'm just gonna ask for his help and open us in prayer um, so that we could not take his name in vain and we could sit here and hear his word and worship him uh, and give him the reverence that he deserves. So let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that you are so gracious and kind to us, Lord. Um, maybe Amen. it was just my own conviction around my own heart and my own t- willingness to be flippant about um, the gathering of your people or or even, even in, a, in a lesser sense, Lord, you do dwell in, in each and every one of us. And, and, and I am present with you everywhere I go because of the Holy Spirit dwelling in me. Lord, I pray that I would take that presence seriously. I pray that uh, even as James is encouraging us and pointing us towards what true wisdom looks like, um, where real joy is found, it is in your presence, Lord. It is imaging you and looking like your son and reflecting your glory to others. And it's so easy to not take that seriously. It's so easy to be flippant about what you have called us to as you have called us to yourself, Lord. So I pray this morning as James continues to point us in the right direction and and give us a stable place to go, somewhere to land, I pray that we would um, just feel the weight of what you've called us to and the glory and the majesty of the reality that you would be present in us and with us and demonstrate your character through us. Help us not be flippant about that. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. So in James, we're gonna talk, he really in this section, he has two questions. And so that's where we're gonna kind of circle around this morning. He has two questions, and you might've picked up on it when we read it. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? And later he says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? So we're going to talk a little bit about who is wise and what causes fights. Well, those, are, that's a, the, those are the two questions we're going to think about a little bit this morning. And I want to go back. If you flip back in chapter 1, 
James brings up this concept of wisdom right off the bat in chapter 1, verse 5. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. Amen. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. It's a, I mean, it's a, it's a wonderful promise. And I think even as we've been praying on Sunday morning, as we've been thinking about uh, our church's future, as, it, uh, as, it, as, we are involved, as we look towards involving ourselves with SCUM and the things we're talking about, covered at members meeting, as we think about our lives and, and what's going on and, and, and questions that we have, whether it's financial or uh, whether it's relational, uh, there's a lot of times where we go to that verse and are encouraged. And I think we should very much be encouraged when, when God says, whoever asks for wisdom, he generously gives that to us. Like it's meant to be, it's really meant to be an encouragement to be like, this is the kind of God that we worship. So if you, if you want wisdom, he's there for you on that. And I think uh, maybe Jesse, Jesse said it good this morning in prayer, is if, if God answered our prayers for wisdom, Think about what you're asking for his help with. If God answered our prayers for wisdom, would we need God more or less? Would we need God more or less? Because I think a lot of the times when we're asking for wisdom, we're sort of just asking for God to solve a problem in front of us. Like, dear Heavenly Father, I'm thankful that you're here. This is in my way. Help me figure this out so I can go to the next thing. And I think there is a, a sense in which, yeah, every decision we make should be informed by what God has said. So there is a real genuine sense where if we're going to God and asking for uh, his, what he has said about these things, what, what, what he is thinking about, like where is God's heart and mind and motive in the, in the things that we want solved, like, it's a good place to go. But in this section that we're going to talk about this morning, I think James is like, look, I've encouraged you to ask for wisdom, but I don't know if you know what you're asking for. I don't know if you truly understand what real wisdom is. Because if you did, then I think your prayers and your request and your pleading with God for wisdom would look a little differently. And it, I, I, I phrase the question, who is wise? Because wisdom isn't, A, James puts it that way. I think James puts it that way because he could just say, like, what is wisdom? Like, if you're praying for wisdom, what is it? He could say, what is wisdom? But I think it's intentional. Who is wise is because you can't have wisdom detracted from someone's person. You can't have this amorphous thing called wisdom over here that isn't connected to a person isn't connected to our character. It isn't connected to who we are. And, and the ultimate example of that is the personification of wisdom in Proverbs, which points to Jesus Christ. He is wisdom. Paul calls him that. Paul says Jesus is the wisdom of God. Not he is got the most wisdom. Like that person is the wisdom of God. So you can't, first you can't detract wisdom and, the, and I can't, if I had like a list of these 10 things, it, wisdom is tied up in, in, in a personal characteristics. Exemplified most clearly in Jesus himself. And so now as James jumps in, he's asking this question, what is wisdom? He starts with a personal pronoun, says who? Who, that's not a pronoun. I don't remember what it is. Grammar fail. Someone will correct me later. Who is, who is wise and understanding among you? Who? Who is wise? Let's look at what he says. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. This idea of good conduct, our character, he's just reinforcing this idea that wisdom is bound up in who we are, in our character, so our good works. It doesn't really give us a whole lot of details there, but I think he's 
picking up on something. He's going he's gonna to bring this up later, this, this idea of humility or meekness. The meekness of wisdom is, is like a hint of what wisdom looks like. If we want to know who is wise, we should ask ourselves, who is humble? Who is meek? Amen. And I think this is just another, you know, we can't pass by the obvious thing. Like, when in the Gospels was Jesus, like, super aggressive and all about, like, promoting himself? It, almost quite the opposite. He would do things and say, hey, you need to, like, shush yourself a little bit about what I'm doing right here. And we're not going to get into why he, was, why he was presenting himself that way. But, but and on every front, Jesus is approaching people with power and authority and greatness and in an in a, in a attitude and a character in a way that was just meek and humble and lowly. So there's this meekness of wisdom, this, this good conduct. Who is wise? Someone who I think at the beginning is humble and meek. That's sort of like our first measuring stick for saying, is this, uh, is this wisdom in my life? And think about that when you pray for that then. How often when we're pleading with God for wisdom in a situation, are we saying, humble me, Lord? Make me recognize that I need to accept what the circumstances you put me in or, or I need to accept my limitations in this way. Help me, that, is, that, is that our plea when we plead with God for wisdom? That we would be meek, that we would be humble? And he goes on in this section and uses this phrase, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition twice because I think he's, I think he's kind of making a contrast here and we'll, we'll go through a couple verses and then um, uh, I think we'll have a little bit better idea on what does it look like then to be meek and humble. He says, but if you have, so there's a contrast, let's, let's learn the non-wisdom part, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down for above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. It's like an escalating thing there. This is, this, is, this is not even heavenly. This is earthly. This is not from the spirit. This is unspiritual and this is demonic. For where, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Jealousy and selfish ambition. I think he pairs those things together because he's trying to like give us like a vibes for what Foolishness. What 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 demonic wisdom looks like. So we say, who is wise? What does it mean to describe someone with bitter jealousy and selfish ambition? And so that that word jealousy. He says jealousy. The word jealousy is actually used in the positive sense. It's just zeal. It's like like uh, excitement. You know, God is says he has zeal. Uh, Jesus says he has zeal for his father's house. God says he's zealous to, to glorify his name. So he's, or he's jealous for his people. So you, you have, uh, you, have uh, you know, I think uh, JJ can disrespect me, etc. But when he disrespects mama, like the zeal, like that's where the, the jealousy comes out. <laughs> You know, like, like, whoa, 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 that's my wife. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to treat her that way? Excuse me, you know, excuse me, son. So, so, there, so that's how God has spoken positively. This is a zeal for when people uh, harm the people who are like the apple's eye. He's zealous for us. He's like, whoa, 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 these are my people. So there's a, there's a positive sense where we have this, like, this, this uh, passion for something that's good, but obviously using it in a negative term. So I think pairing it with selfish ambition is another helpful, um, uh, just a, a phrase to kind of package this together. So then what is that word selfish ambition? Romans 2.8 uses that similar word, basically. So I, I think I have that. I'll just read it off the screen. It says, for those who are self-seeking, that's our word. Just put it a different way here. For those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Self-seeking. 
So this idea of selfish ambition is just another way to say, I'm about all about myself. Philippians 2.3 is another verse I have that helps us kind of get a sense of this word. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. And it's, and it's parallel. It says, okay, well, then what does that mean? But the positive of that is in humility, count others more significant than yourself. So I think what James is saying, when he puts these things together, he's saying, who is wise? It's not the person that is passionate about their agenda. Who is wise? It's not the person that's passionate about their agenda. And think, compare that to Jesus. How others-oriented was he? How many times did he, like, spend himself before the cross? I mean, just, like, sheer exhaustion. Think about when they're, when they're, when they're just caught in the sea and, they, and the disciples are freaking out. Jesus passed out on the boat. Like, I don't know if that was, like, supernatural powers. That was, like, I'm so exhausted I'm passed out. <laughs> like, I've been serving and giving myself others we get out on a storm and everyone else thinks we're going to die. I'm sleeping like a rock, you know? Jesus was wise because he was others-oriented. He was others-oriented. Again, go back to how we pray. Is that what we ask for when we ask for wisdom? Do we say, Lord, how can I approach this in a way that considers other people as more important than myself? How can I recognize when I'm zealous for my agenda? Because that, that comes naturally. Like we don't need uh, help to be oriented around what I want. We're born that way. It's It's the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. It's the, it's the presence of God. It's the transforming work of what God does in our hearts to help us pray and plead with God so that we'd be wise, truly wise, by being zealous for others and, and not for ourselves. Amen. One, I think our prayers... Uh, is a good test of our wisdom when we pray for them. Is it about ourselves or about others? I think there's other tests to say, where am I wise? Maybe, where do I need more wisdom? What about your conversations? You know, James is all about the tongue. When we open our mouths, are we more zealous for our agenda or be more considerate and thoughtful of others. Our schedule. Are we wise with our schedule? And, I, you know, I think I would answer that like, yeah, I can shove the most number of things in with the right rearrangement and no, 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 no. Nailed it, you know. You weak hitting every little block on the calendar and you look back and talk about the zeal you have for yourself in your head. <laughs> James says that's uh, not wisdom that comes from above. That's demonic. How do we wisely look at our schedule and say, Lord, I need your help to use this for others. I like what he says too. Um, he says, when, these, when you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, so he's not even like when you act it out. <laughs> you know, I, I, well, it's harder for me, but there are times when I can shut my mouth and all I can think about is when I want to talk about myself or something, but I'm not. I'm closing my mouth, but it's in there. And James is saying, that's the problem. It starts down here. It starts in our hearts. 
And we can, you know, we can say, oh, I'm, we can show up for others. We can block off time for others. We can, we can be wise with our schedules, with our conversations, kind of on the outside. But James is saying, that's not what I'm talking about. That's not true wisdom. True, if you're gonna ask who is wise, that's someone who genuinely desires to use their resources and their time and their words to encourage and build up other people in the community and outside the community. Amen. Again, look back at Jesus. Do you think he is serving the disciples and inside is just like, oh my gosh, seriously, oh, you're asking that question again? Like, that's not what's going through his mind. He, he, he voluntarily left the bosom of the Father and came to earth. He desired to do the Father's will and to love others Amen. and to consider them more important themselves. That's why he, he put his eyes towards Jerusalem and, and was marching towards his death because he desired and loved you and cared for you and delighted in giving himself for others. That's the, that's the wisdom that James is talking about. And I think the, the, the beauty of that is God is working that kind of wisdom inside of us so that we could reflect his character to others. But it starts with recognizing where we don't have wisdom. It starts with just looking at different parts of our life and saying, am I being wise here? Or is my standard for wisdom something different than that? So who is wise? Others-oriented people. There's your wise people. Look at verse 17. He, I feel like he's just giving us a little more descriptions on what that means. The wisdom from above is first pure. It says this idea of like obedience to the thing that God has communicated. I think about the Levitical priests, clean and unclean. There's just, how are you discerning with God's word what is pure and what is defiled? How are you using the language that God has communicated to us to say, this is pure, this is unpure? So, so if I'm giving myself for others, there's still a, a structure by which we orient that around, you know? So it, wisdom is, is pure, it, it's peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And, and kind of hearkening back to earlier when, he, when he's saying, you know, you, you like to give yourself for others if they fit a certain criteria, the, the partiality, this idea that like, yeah, yeah there, there's, there's a, maybe there's a group of people or there's a, there's a way that I like to serve and, 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 and give of myself and there's a group of people over here where it's less a thing. And he's saying this true wisdom is impartial. Amen. Again, we can look back at Jesus and say, we're, it didn't matter. I mean, it was whether it was Nicodemus, the Pharisee that had a genuine heart for the Lord or whether it was uh, someone caught up in... Uh, I want to use the biblical word a harlot, you know, I just uh, a prostitute. Like all the above, Jesus is like, it doesn't matter their neediness or their social status or where they come from. He was in, completely impartial to give himself for others. And I like this, this last, because um, I think this is meant to be an encouragement. Verse 18 says, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Bridget always reminds me of what Jen Wilkins says that it's not blessed are the peacekeepers, it's, it's blessed are the peacemakers. <laughs> like it's easy, you know, it's easy to step back and be like, okay, I'm not gonna rock the boat or anything. Uh, and this idea of peace is, is wholeness or completeness. Uh, even in, in, in the Old Testament, when they built an altar, they, they talked about using peace stones and what they meant was like, not broken or, or deformed, like, like complete and full and whole, like use stones that are, uh, that are, uh, that call them peace, peace stones, like shalom stones. 
And so it's this idea that when you make peace, you're, you're actually working to build up and, and encourage and, and complete others. It's a harvest of righteousness. Just, just as you lean into being others-oriented, as you, if, you have, if you act in a way that has wisdom, there's a harvest of righteousness that comes from that. God will work good things when we're wise. I think that's meant to be an encouragement is because when we don't want, when we want to be self-centered when we want to be about my agenda, we do that because we we're in our heads. I feel like we're promising ourselves some result from that, that we desire something good. We want something good to come from that. And God is trying to encourage us is when we're wise when we're others oriented, when we're, when we're peaceable and we want to like build up the people around us, there's a harvest of righteousness Good things come from that. So who is wise? See, the others-oriented people. And his second question is what causes fights? What causes fights? It says in verse one, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? that your passions are at war within you. Uh, If you have a little footnote in your ESV, it probably says your pleasures. It's where we get the word hedonism from, which I had to Google that because, you know, it's like one of those words you hear, but you're like, what does it really mean? You know, it's like a, it's a, it's a devotion to pleasure. Hedonism is a devotion to pleasure. And he says, what causes this is this, these, your, the devotion that you have to pleasure is at war within you. I think that our, if we were to answer the question, what causes fights? Most of us would respond first by uh, someone outside of me. And I think it's instructive that he's like, what causes fights? You is where he starts. Like start there because you have competing desires in here, competing pleasures that you're going after. I kind of want to summarize the answer to what causes fights, and we'll, we'll work through this a little bit. But I want to summarize the answer is what fights is we want it both ways. We want it both ways. I want to expand on that a little bit. And this is what I think he's getting at when he says your pleasures are competing within you. What pleasures are competing within us? We have, I mean, we're here worshiping on a Sunday. The weather is beautiful. There's plenty of other things we could be doing. There's plenty of other pleasures outside of this building. But most of us that are here this morning genuinely believe, whether we experience it all the time or not, we believe that the presence and power of God is, is a pleasure, is a beauty, is a wonderful thing. Amen. We, we have tasted and we want more of it. We believe that. But that's not the only pleasure at war within me. <laughs> or like I wish that was, the, I wish that was my only pleasure was the, the, the presence and beauty and glory of God. We have other pleasures warring than us. That might be for some of us like lunchtime here in a little bit. You know, they say never mention that because they never let me think about lunchtime. But that's the point though, is because it's like you mention it and all of a sudden your heart's like, ooh, this other thing. Oh, I have, a, oh, I have another pleasure. And, and I think this is relevant to when we, when, when we why aren't we wise? Why, why aren't we others oriented? If, we, if the harvest of righteousness is the glory and beauty of God is what, what comes from shaping ourselves in a way that reflects God, that looks like Jesus is truly wise, why don't we just do that all the time? Because we have other pleasures that war inside of us. We have other things pulling us away and saying, hey, Aaron, you know, I know you're thinking of this person or I know that you could do this on your schedule this way, but if you do this... Think about what you could get out of the deal. 
And, and those pleasures are just warring inside of us. Look at what he explains what happens in verses two and three. So you desire and do not have, so you murder. It's extreme. James does that a lot. You covet, you, you want something that God has not given to you and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your pleasures. I think that goes back to the wisdom section because he's like, look, you're at, you can go to God regularly and just plead with him to give you wisdom. He wants to give you wisdom. But the wisdom he wants to give you is the, the grace and the, the change and the, the desire to love and care for other people. That's the wisdom he wants to give you. Amen. And when you ask for things that are for your own pleasures and desires and not oriented towards his glory and to other people, you don't get it because he loves you and he's not gonna like feed you with this other passion that's pulling you away from him. Amen. He says, you adulterous people. You adulterous people. Why would he call us adulterous people? He uh, just, yeah, he, the gloves come off on, in James a lot. And I think that's really because just the circumstance that people are in is kind of a serious one. And I think James is like, you just need to, you need to hear the truth, sometimes in a way that's like not sugar-coated and caveated. Like, I, you need to hear this because it's really important. If you, you know, be calling our series somewhere to land. If you, if you want stability, if you want peace, if you want joy in your life when things are like chaos... He's like almost just lovingly shaking us. He's like, you need to hear this. Like, this is really important. This is like a critical thing I want to get across to you. And when he says, you adulterous people, he's communicating a little bit of our torn desires. The book of Hosea starts with God telling a prophet to go and marry someone who is not faithful. <laughs> because he's illustrating what it's like when we get drawn into our pleasures apart from God. He's designed us, he's made us, he's shaped us, he's redeemed us, he's, he's joined himself to us. Paul talks about the union between a, a married couple as a picture of the intimacy of the union between us and Christ in the spirit. Amen. Like that's a, that's an awkward comparison even. Like, but the, the level of intimacy that God has dwelling inside of us and us dwelling in Christ is, is just the, the commitment between a husband and a wife is a shadow of that commitment that God has to us. And in Hosea 3.1, he kind of summarizes that a little bit. It's one of those little tiny books that's hard to find. Oh, there it is. Hosea 3.1. This is the Lord talking to the prophet. And he said to me, go again, again, like this not the first time, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. That's not the, that's not the word you want to hear from the Lord. And, but he explains why. He goes, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes and rais of raisins. This is what James is talking about. These are our, our, our passions, our pleasures that are at war within us. He's saying you regularly love and desire and want the things of the world that God has given us more than God himself. That's spiritual adultery. That, that's cheating on God. <laughs> I 
It's encouraging, though. God is not surprised by these things. He's not swayed. The whole point of Hosea is that no matter how many times the spouse leaves, God pursues. God pursues because you're his delight. You're adulterous. You're consistently cheating on him. And yet he genuinely delights in you. He delights in you. Psalm 149, verse four, says, for the Lord takes pleasure in his people. That's the same word used in the Greek version of the Old Testament. Like James would have been aware of this. The Lord takes pleasure in his people. His delight is in you. And then he says, he adorns the humble with salvation. He adorns the humble with salvation. This is what James is getting at when he talks about the meekness of wisdom, our humility, our recognition that that we are adulterous people. He's not asking you to fake it till you make it. He's asking you to realize you're an adulterous people. And yet he's communicating to you that he delights in you. This is the, we don't deserve that. We don't deserve that. And this is where James goes with this. This is why he's asking us to humble ourselves. Verse six, he gives more grace. Like he gives us even more of what we don't deserve. This is why it says, therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He desires to communicate more of himself. He desires to change more of who you are. He desires to shape and mold you into someone who's truly wise when you recognize you're not. He gives grace to the humble. So he says, submit yourself therefore to God. This is the, this is earlier he says, receive the word with weakness. Like hear what God has to say about who you are with measure of humility. Don't push back. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God. I think it says resist the devil because he's talking about look, our, 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 our version of wisdom where we're, we're, we're zealous for our own agenda is he says is demonic. He's like, resist that. Like, push back against your, your self-centeredness and, and, and long for God to transform you and change you to be others-oriented. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Amen. I, the adultery analogy is just like, kind of blows my mind a little bit. And the book of Hosea would be a fun one to kind of go through. But if my wife were to repeatedly cheat on me, I would not want to draw near to her. That's like the last thing I'd want to do. And as we regularly go after desires less than God, He's like, look, if you come towards me, I'll come towards you. That's the kind of love he has for his people. That, he, he delights in us because of the person and work of Jesus. Like he's united his perfect son to you so that when you draw near to him, he can draw near to you. That's such good news. We're, we're never beyond that. And he's just saying, humble yourself. Recognize the things I'm saying about you and come towards me, and I'll come towards you. Part of how we submit to him 
is where he goes on to say, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Like, stop being foolish. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. It's another easy kid analogy. Sometimes when I'm telling my child what he shouldn't be doing, he looks at me and chuckles. And it grabs me a little bit on the inside. <laughs> but it, he's just coping. He's like, oh, this is like not a fun thing to deal with. So I'm just going to like pretend it's cool. We do the same thing, right? Like, like we minimize something. We're foolish or we, we run into something or we distract ourselves with something else or God's trying to convict us. He's, the spirit is working and we're saying, oh, this part of my life, I'm pretty, I think I'm good, but I'm, I'm honestly just like distancing myself from the things that God has communicated. And, and as soon as we have that thought, we're automatically somewhere else or thinking of something else. Just, the, just thinking and dwelling for a moment on how we don't submit to the Lord is enough for us to just go a different direction. And I think what James is saying, be, be wretched and mourn and weep. He's saying like sit in it for a minute and recognize how foolish we really are. It should grieve you that your natural is to be zealous for your own agenda. I think we... I think we're... I think we believe the lie... Um, I think as what's his name? Vanderstelt. Vanderstelt. We've had passed those books before. A lot of soma related stuff. Really great practical application community type things. He talks about our we should repent of what we believe and not of what we do. Like we're selfish. We're zealous for our own agenda because we believe we're going to get something out of that. And for all, it's, I think it's me, we're, me and Bridget were talking about this, and I think for all, that's different for each and every one of us, you know? Like, the thing we're pursuing isn't the same as the thing probably the person sitting next to you is pursuing. We, we want a measure of sort of, we want a status, we want, a, a, we want something more than what we have. So we believe that whatever it is that we're aiming for, however we're shaping our lives or or the thing, if I'm, if I'm caring for others, if I'm, if I'm not zealous for my own agenda, I'm not going to get X. And, and that, that shapes and drives us. And, and the Bible talks about that in, in a handful of different ways. But we believe that if we are zealous for our agenda, that's how we get from here to here, whatever that looks like. And James is talking to people who are in such a situation that they're probably scrambling for the worldly things that can get them from here to here. Like it's, it's chaotic a little bit. And I, and I think when sometimes when we're, when we're wrestling with stuff that's like a little more, you know, that shakes us a little more than usual, we scatter to whatever it is in the world we can grab on to fix those things. And, and what James is saying, here's what you need to believe. Verse 10, he says, as we, as we recognize where we're at, as we give ourselves for others, as we're, as we're meek and we're demonstrating wisdom this way, he says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will be the one to exalt you. Amen. He will be the one to bring you from here to here. <laughs> he will be the one to lift you up. He delights in you. He will be the one to draw near to you and comfort you with his presence. He'll be the one to transform our competing desires so that it's more about him and less about all these other things. The 
this last section that we read, I just want to make one point. He talks about basically like, he says all these things. He's like, hey, also don't judge your brother. And it kind of feels out of left field. And that happens in James. And it could totally be out of left field. But the thing, as I read this, I was like, you know, when we think about this, who is wise? What causes fights? How easy is it for us to be like, man, this person, I wish this person was here. They need to hear this. <laughs> like, like, we, like God's just like zooming in on our hearts and our motives and our desires. And we're like, man, this is good. Oh, I wish man, this person was, was really paying attention to this, you know? We, we all, like, we're already off setting ourselves up as judge of somebody else's heart. And that may be true, you know? Like, we want more people to admit themselves as Lord, to humble themselves and forgot to then exalt them. But he, that's not what he's talking about. He, he, he's saying, all the, I'm, I'm pressing in on you with this thing, and if your first instinct is to be like, yeah, that person, don't go there. There's a judge who is able to save and to destroy. There's a competent God. If, and if God delights in that person, God is going to work and is competent to save that person. And if that person is an enemy of God, you don't have to worry about it. God is going to deal with that. God's saying, I'm speaking to you. I'm wanting you to recognize your heart. I want you to see where you fall short. I want you, it doesn't say humble others so that others can be exalted. It says humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you I want to end with Psalm 37 verse 4 I think this connects back to the wisdom passage at the very beginning of James I mean, James probably grew up singing these psalms, you know? So it shouldn't surprise us there's, there's some themes in here. Delight, it's the same word. This, the, this should be your pleasure. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It's like a feedback loop of sanctification, I think when we recognize these competing pleasures and we humble ourselves before God and we go to him and ask for wisdom and say, Lord, help me find my delight in you and glorifying you and drawing near to you and, and don't, like these things that you've given me that are good, use those good things to just draw me closer to you. Like I don't wanna be double-minded. I don't wanna be split in different directions. I think as we, we confess that, we go to him, as we humble ourselves before him and we say, what more delight in you, he will give you the desires of your heart. <laughs> we can pray for wisdom to delight more in the Lord with confidence that he will give us that. That's the prayer he wants to answer. <laughs> That's encouraging to me. He's working and shaping and molding us so we're not so split. So that we can actually be genuinely wise and demonstrate the character and beauty and glory of Christ in how we act. He, he's shaping us so that we can have less quarrels and fights. I think, you know, uh, we were, I compliment you guys. We were talking in the elders meeting about, uh, you know, at any given point in the church, there's, issues that we're wrestling with together as an elder team, praying for people, connecting with counseling, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think we just had this like moment where if these couple things sort of resolved themselves, Ben was like, well, what are we going to talk about in an elders meeting? Like, Nicole was like, don't worry. But there's, it just, I think it's a beautiful thing with, even with our community, God, you have been demonstrated. I think your wisdom is demonstrated in the unity of the people who are in this room. And even the, some of the people that aren't here, like, like you guys and how you treat and act and, and care for each other and love each other is demonstrating to the world the wisdom of God. Amen. There are a lot of people you know that don't experience this. The number of offenses that genuinely occur, because guess what? We're all sinful in here. We don't always treat each other like we should. 
We don't always consider others the way that we, we want to, but because there's the spirit working and molding and shaping you, there's actually less quarreling and fighting. There's more unity with the people that you have in this room than I imagine that you experience in your email inbox or when you go to work each day. That's a testament to the Holy Spirit working and transforming you. I think that's awesome. I think that's great and something to celebrate. And if we want more wisdom, if we want more peace, more unity, more of the glory and goodness of God, we humble ourselves and go to him, just ask to be more delighted in him alone. He will give us the desires of our hearts. He'll continue to give us more and more of that so we love him more. Because it doesn't matter how adventurous we are, he delights in you. That's wonderful. Don't forget that. He delights in you. Let's pray and thank him for that. Father, you are such a loving God. We do so many things that in our own sinful state would just, we would push people away. And yet you continually come after us. Not because we um, have figured something out, not because we went through the motions, but purely from your good grace. Purely from the reality that we absolutely don't deserve you to treat us this way. And yet you do. Lord, give us wisdom. Give us true wisdom so that you can be glorified, so that we can enjoy your glory, but also so that we can be a light to others who need that. Amen. Thank you for this morning, and thank you for stirring our hearts, Lord, to not take your name in vain and even to consider these things seriously. In your name I pray, amen.